Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Collarbach. With me, Romo, room manager to the stars, Pat Bernard. Hello, Eric Collarbach. <laughs> how are you? I'm good. How are you? Look, I'm not a social douchey. Oh, I'm not a douchey social climber. Okay, I'm. I had you on my podcast simply because you have a kind face. Thank you. For no other reason. It's not like you can book me. It's not like I scrape up the ladder. You know? Yeah. Like going towards people who have like influence over the scene. That's not my that's not what I'm doing right now. Right. But, you know, I called you the other day, Pat Bernard, to to book this. And then, you know, a weird thing happened where uh like I called you, right? Mm-hmm. And then a voicemail of someone I didn't recognize answered Oh yeah. The voicemail. Yeah. So I was kind of like thrown for a loop because right. I thought I knew you. I thought I knew your name. Hi, you've reached Patrick Tui. Please Who? leave me a message. Who? Pat Tatui? My full name is Patrick Bernard Tui. All right, get out. <laughs> Where are you from, Patrick Bernard Tatui? Pennsylvania. Mm hmm. Northeastern corner of Pennsylvania, Wilkesbury. Oh. You know, I got family in Doylestown right now. Okay. So, uh... That's closer to Philly, isn't it? Did you know where that's... I really don't know. I'm so retarded. Like, I put in GPS, and then I just... It says 45 minutes, and then I drive 45 minutes. I black out, you know, I don't... I have no idea where I am. Like, I'm just going to see my sister's house and play with her dogs. I don't know where I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... Uh, also, uh, so so, how were you raised? Like, were you raised, you know, simple yet chores? You know, Pat Bernard Tatui, you know, do, mow the lawn, you know, yeah. milk so, the cows. Well, yeah, so we grew up on a, on farm property, but we never had any animals or anything like that. And when it comes to chores, the story with that is that my mom was adamant that I do as many chores as possible. And if it was just me and her, that's what would happen. But when my dad grew up, his dad would make him do every chore conceivable. And so when he had a son, he kind of set it aside for himself that I'm not going to make the kid do anything I doesn't want to do. And so chores were never a part of, like, my dad's trying to raise me, but chores were a part of my mom trying to raise me. Were they, were they separated? No, they were together. They were together. Oh, okay. So but in the had, home house. Had, yeah, they had differing philosophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad didn't think I needed to get a job until I was 22, and my mom thought I needed to get a job when I was 14. When did you get your first job? Uh, 19. Okay. Well, let's split the difference there. <laughs> You're trying to appease both of them. Yeah, I got I got out of high school. I'm glad I got out of high school. The task mag- master and the educator. No, yeah. give him time to, for education so he can bloom like a, a, a beautiful pumpkin. Yeah. And your mom is like, make him work! <laughs> Both of my parents worked at uh, universities. My dad is a uh, math professor, and my mom was the head of the nutrition graduate program at a school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You seem like you uh, are in good health. Do you take care of your body? Yeah, and I get very self-conscious if I don't address my body. Like if I go a couple days without doing something, I get very antsy. And, mm. yeah, I try to watch my food consumption, too, just because... Dude, I was reading this thing about uh, alkaline versus acidic foods. Uh-huh. 
You, is that something you keep up with? I've heard of this. It's more like there. It's like blah 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 vegetables or something, right? Yeah, but it, it changes all the time. But uh, apparently, eighty percent of your diet is supposed to be alkaline foods, like berries and fucking spinach and almonds. Yeah, because I'm a panda beer. <laughs> <laughs> what is your family's narrative? You know what? What was this? Were you told a, a grand story, like? You can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. Pat Bernard Tatui. Go just pray to Jesus. You know, were you raised religious? Like, what was the narrative growing up? No religion. Mm-hmm. Both my parents were raised Catholic. And to go further up the family or down the family tree, I, that uh, Irish immigrants, all of my grandparents were. All four. Mm-hmm. And so they moved to this country, and my parents were then first-generation Americans, raised Irish Catholic, and then both in separate worlds. They both grew up in New York. My mom grew up in uh, Washington Heights, and my dad grew up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. They both, in separate universes, decided, this is stupid, I'm going to be agnostic. And so they both changed their religious views in their early 20s. And then totally went against the grain of their family's wishes. But then they do worship at the altar of academia. Yeah. They go, knowledge. You know, maybe I want to bite the apple yeah. that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. Maybe that's rude to say that you shouldn't. You should be an ignorant sheep following a Jesus shepherd character. Yeah, you should do whatever the author of this book tells you to do. It's more. Ah. Yeah. And then one author wrote. Let Pat Bernard Tatui just run around the field naked if he wants to until 22 when we'll get him a job. And then another That's author the of another book, make him back! <laughs> but that, was, that was your mom. Yes. Thank was you. playing the Spot character on. of your mom. Sorry. Yeah. That was so accurate. It took me a while. Though. Yeah, right, right. You, have, you seem to have a good ability to delay gratification. You seem to have a good ability to not be an alcoholic. Uh, you're very, like, every time I see you, you're, like, mentally stable, which is, like, sort of rare in this uh, industry yeah. of comedy. Yeah. Um, what is it like for you um, having to wrangle... You know, drug addicts, comedy talent, riddled with insecurity, unprofessionalism, mental illness. What is that like? Is it like herding cats? No, I've, I've heard that. I love that so much, saying anytime someone fucks up real bad, it's like, you know, it's, we're herding cats with this fucking comedy deal. I try to keep it lowest common denominator, show up at this time, do this amount of time. I don't try to get into being like buddies with people on show day I don't like getting buddy buddy unless like they're like quality wanting to like have a good conversation and not just buttering me up to like get booked or whatever Th- those conversations are fine but when it comes to the actual like booking of it I try to just keep it lowest common denominator and just yeah just keep it simple and if the if the person you're booking can't fulfill like these like very normal asks about getting booked on a show then totally cool that's fine there's 20 people moving into town every day who will probably show up on time and and be courteous and professional so yeah i met two last night here that it was their first time in town like two just moved here from new york remember Mm -hmm. those people i don't know their names but i i don't know i got their facebook or whatever but it's like 
people come here all the time like those guys were from new york and they're like hilarious day one you mm -hmm. know and it's yep. like cool so i very much learned from this guy and uh from jimmy schubert and tom rhodes like it is so fucking important to be nice to everybody so important because number one they want you around and number two it's like you don't have static that's like unnecessary yeah. and if you have a little static with somebody I mean, a little negativity goes way longer than positivity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And why would you do that to yourself? Why would you put like a landmine down in this spot that you might have to trail back and, and circle back to? Yeah. It's just not, it's not smart. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, can I tell you about my family's narrative? I was on the phone with yes, my... Yes, uh, you, Eric, you've been asking all the questions. They've been, they've been very good questions. I haven't had a chance to flip them back on you but yeah i'm excited family narrative my i have two aunts um that are kind of nuts so um so how do i say this my aunt jenny you know speaking of drug addiction mental illness you know my aunt jenny she's not gonna listen to this i don't know if she's alive or dead she's she was engaged to a doctor okay and uh about 1992 to 1994 you know every day this doctor uh, he was studying in residency. He, like, had two more years of residency before he was, like, on his own, right? In a hospital residency. So every night he'd be, he'd be like, I love you. I'm going to go work 16 hours and then do this exam for med school. And then, you know, do an open heart surgery, scrub it. And then I'll see you later, sweetie. And my aunt was like, I got it, you know. And then he would go, you know, stitch people's esophagus together and do doctor stuff. And then she would... Um, black tar heroin hook and share needles and she got AIDS right and then it was really cool because she gave the doctor AIDS and then he shot himself in the head so instead of society having a doctor my Aunt Jenny's pussy um, has uh, has stayed alive and thank God she's still alive doing heroin you know instead of society getting a, a doctor so that's my family narrative so like there's like two paths you can go it's pretty clear you can be the one that delays their gratification and works really hard until they shoot themselves, mm -hmm. or you can do heroin. So, you know, for me, it's like, wow, wow, you know, choices, yeah. life lessons, you and know. Who survives out of those two? Exactly. Who, who has the heart always... attack killing themselves doing work while the other people are just, you know, running around like cats with no stress? Yeah. You know? That reminds me of the, have you ever seen No Country for Old Men? Mm-hmm. The Anton Chigurh line to Woody Harrelson's character, uh, Woody Harrelson and Anton Chigurh are both hitmen, or or they work in that industry of like tracking people down there, whatever. But Woody Harrelson doesn't kill, and and eventually Anton Chigurh corners him. He's got the shotgun on him, and he asks him about his not killing thing. And he goes, "If the rule you followed brought you to this, of what use was the rule?" And I think about that sometimes when you're talking about like the doctor ended up killing himself and like the the heroin addict aunt is still alive. It's like shout out to Aunt Jenny. <laughs> Follow her on Instagram. Uh, that <laughs> at Black Tar Heroin Hooker <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> that you have these like things of life that don't make any sense. Like that's not just at all, but life has this very peculiar source code that the people that make it sometimes abide by a set of rules that don't make sense or, or don't seem that they should belong or should survive.
but because of life's just unpredictability and oddity that for whatever reason their way of living gets them to go further. Do you live by a code, Pat Bernard Tui? I think so. What I mean, is that? I, <laughs> uh, ambiguity. No, I, I said I think so when I said I live by you, a code. You do chores <laughs> or you don't do chores, you know? Yeah. what? Um, I guess like there are certain, like everyone could just say morals and stuff, but I think it's very important to toil every day. You need to do some amount of time every day of something you don't want to do or don't like doing because otherwise you're comfortable and comfortable doesn't create anything that creates mm. hard times. So how do you ag- aggregate or agitate your ass to get off the couch? I, I read every morning as soon as I roll up. I used to, dude, Eric, I used to get into my phone every morning. This was over the summer and like an hour and a half to start my day. Just really sad, right? I mean, you don't even realize how it affects the rest of your day. But I'll I'll uh, read a book. I'll get up. I'll go for a walk, and then just try to get out of the house. I'll try to write jokes too if I got if I got time for it. Um, but yeah, just get out of the house. Get yourself moving because whatever COVID quarantine status we're in, which is like kind of like a flux state, the fact that we spent so long in that, you know like by yourself uh, uh, quarantine state that like I think that messed a lot of people up and I know it definitely threw me for a whirlwind like having to take that energy and momentum and try to restart and try to do something with it because like yeah I'm, I, I guess I'm a big momentum guy too that like whatever I'm doing right now is probably what I was trying to do yesterday so like, um has your own pursuit of comedy been disillusioned working uh, behind the veil? Yes, uh, disillusioned, uh, I would agree with that. Um, one part, seeing how long a great stand-up comedian has to work and then seeing how good they actually are is pretty disillusioning. Like, I would say Godfrey and... Adam Ray were the two guys who were just box office entertainment. Like you could have come and, and everyone else has material and of course they have crowd work and they could you know, make a good time of it, but you could send those cats out with nothing and they will create a show for you. Like, and that is just a different class. So yeah, I've been disillusioned by that, just like... The scale of greatness. Seeing, seeing how long the road actually, like you hear like, oh, you gotta be in it 20 years or whatever else. And then you finally meet someone, and you hosted for Jimmy Schubert. That's a guy who's been doing it since he was 18 years old. Dude, his fucking, the level. As yeah. a comic, I've done it 19 years, right? I started mm-hmm. when I was 16, I'm 35. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's joke about the dairy aisle blew my fucking mind. Because he's talking about yogurt for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'm fucking dying. And I'm like, how does he keep doing this? It's the dairy aisle. It was the fucking funny... <laughs> dude, like, the, to write that, to perform it, to do the confidence behind it, every tag fucking worked. It was, it was just... Very, that, that was so inspiring to me. And I, my friend in Jersey, Danny Braff, I called him right after, and we talked about that joke, and it was mm-hmm. just like... We were both like, dude, he's the best. Yeah. When did you hear that joke? Um, at, uh, when I hosted for him. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Remember Bull Show Saturday? Yeah. Um, 
But, uh... Well, I just know you picked him up, so I didn't know if you... Well, yeah, I got him from the airport, you know. Yeah. (laughs) But he did Highway Diary, episode 70. This is Highway Diary, episode 317. Damn. Um, yeah, so the... How long have you been doing comedy now? Uh, less than three years total. Okay. So going, I have ten more years to do well? Yeah. Have you bombed and then, like, ate fried chicken and masturbated on your way home? (laughs) Because you were so depressed and you wanted to feel something that wasn't awful? Uh, I, uh, a couple, oh, sorry. I did that. Okay, go on. Right. Is that a, is that a consistent thing for you? We're talking about you. (laughs) Talking about you, Pepperdine. What was the worst bombing that you have that like recalibrated your uh, expectation about? Uh, yeah, uh, here at the Roma Room, I went up one night at an open mic and went up with no material. I was doing well with my comedy. Well, for me, I was doing well, and so I was like, you know what? I I'm comfortable with these jokes. It's Roma Room. I'm gonna I'm gonna go up there and just bah. and it was so bad that. Uh, when I when I got off stage, uh, Jordan Shelby was the host that night, and Jordan Shelby goes, "Give it up for Pat. He's sad," and the audience, <laughs> and the audience gave the loudest applause they had given in the last four minutes. Uh, Says my set. Yeah, he's great. I haven't seen him in a minute. Is he around? I haven't seen Shelby. George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he hosted. Then uh, what was the last one? Was it Camacho? Um. No, it must have been who the fuck was here. No, he hosted the last time we had a headliner show. Yeah, he's yeah. fucking hilarious. I, I know. I, George Shelby's great. Um, so how long have you lived here now? Uh, less than three years for that. February of twenty nineteen. So the second you moved here, you started comedy. That's the first time you did it. I did comedy for a year when I was younger. I was living in Pennsylvania, and I would commute to New York City. Uh-huh. And I did that for, honestly, less than a year, 10 months. Uh, but I would go at least twice, sometimes four times a week. and just try to, like... Where'd you go? Grace Village Comedy Club? You go... I would I would always start at The Stand. Uh-huh. The Stand always had a mic. I'm pretty sure that was Tuesday. And then I would meet up with these... There were these former cops. Uh, I feel so bad. But they they retired from the police force, and then they decided to do comedy. And I would just get in uh, the guy's Cadillac... And he would just drive to different mics, and we'd go all over. We would always go to a mic in Spanish Harlem. He's like, "This is the worst room you'll ever play. Get good at this, and you'll be all right." And then we were like, "Go to Brooklyn and stuff." But uh, so I did that. I think now, looking back on it, that wasn't really for a kid that was grinding. But that wasn't. I wasn't doing enough mics in that time anyway. Like during that year, I was just a kid who really liked stand up. Um, Dude, I did it for Hey, my... mister, can I get in your Cadillac? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a concealed weapon on it. Yeah, sure, kid. Just watch yourself. Um... Let's go to Spanish Harlem. <laughs> and tell, tell dick jokes to Collins. <laughs> <laughs> you were just a boy with a dream and a little notebook from Pennsylvania. Yep. Lived on a farm. Did chores, didn't do chores. You know, no cows around. Very confusing. <laughs> that's, po- that's the post-agriculture economy right there. Yes, it is. Where'd you go to college? Uh, University of Scranton. That's is, where my sister went. What'd you oh, study? No way. Uh, I a lot, uh, but I graduated with a business management degree. Do you so, change majors a bunch? Yeah, I started as a communications major. That's what she did. And then I hopped all the way over to electrical engineering, 
Uh-huh. That lasted until circuits analysis two. I could not do one of those courses. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. Turns out I can only do seven. And then every, everything after that I wasn't able to do. Um, so were you in Scranton for five years because you changed a couple times? Yeah. Yeah, I nailed it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nailed it, yeah. yeah. So I didn't have enough credits to graduate with any one thing, so I had to go back and wrap up on business management classes uh, to get the necessary So thing. then business management, then you come here to Romo Room, and it's the business of comedy. Yeah. And then you peek behind the veil... You know, booking people, getting their airline tickets, haggling with hotels, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, eh, what, you know, hey, mister, can I get in your Cadillac? But now it's now it's business. Now it's this, it's that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that process like? Um, I would probably circle back to the disillusion thing to where, like, it was once super fun and it was all so exciting uh, and there there's still moments of that but there are things that you would hear like other comedians talk about like dude you know I got to like drive him home from the show or like man we're just kicking in the green room blah 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 that story exists as like a moment of joy for that person those moments I do I, I like those moments I'm thankful for those moments I know that they are uh, just, you know, flickers of candlelight because I then have to turn around and make sure the show's doing okay or, like, focus on something else Yeah. Um, while that's happening. Um, don't need to think that. Like, you know, we're having a talk now. Business is coming in to your phone right now. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, we were chilling in the green room, but then someone called and they said they missed a flight and, they, you know, they need a dog psychologist on board, <laughs> you know, their service animal. Yeah. I'm just a boy from Pennsylvania. So, yeah, it's just been that because you're in charge of making sure, like, the party goes well. Yeah. It's like you throw a party, you're not right, really right. enjoy the party. Yeah. You're just, you're thankful that it goes off without a hitch. <clears throat> yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, did you knock my fucking grandma's? portrait off the wall and now that I got to clean the spaghetti from the you know whatever yep um did you move here with a roommate yeah so uh this story is uh way too long to be this uninteresting but I was best friends with a, a kid from Pennsylvania who moved down here he lived here for two years was all sorted and then said you know you got to get the hell out of your hometown was basically because he did the same thing and he was right I visited Austin twice I really loved it. So you guys were living in Pennsylvania together? As no. Wait. No. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So me and this guy are buddies. He moves to Austin with his fiance. They live down here for two years, and then I'm still in Pennsylvania. And then I moved down after the two years that he like feels like comfortable and, and all sorted. And like they'll have a friend down here when I move down. Um, he gave me the... You know, are you going to be that guy who just lives in his hometown for his whole life? Speech. And he was 100% right. And he just stuck with it. And it's turned out okay. Moving down here has been a great, great choice. To answer your question about roommate, that mutual, that friend, who was my friend who moved down here, he had a mutual friend in Pennsylvania too. That. Hey, are you going to live in your hometown your whole life? He convinced two people on the same uh, pitch. And so we moved in together, and I moved in with a kid who uh, ended up moving back to Pennsylvania after six months. Yeah. Because what happened? 
Uh, that's just a thing with that sort fella's of. personality. Hmm. He kind of was a lurch. Like he would first thing it's it's. Do you want to be the doctor that stresses himself out, or do you want to be the black tar heroin hooker who has no stress in her life? Yeah. Okay, sweetie, I'll see you when you come home from residency. Bye. I love you. Uh, I'm putting all of my hopes and dreams in you, Aunt Jenny. <laughs> Bye. You know, and then <laughs> and then he's like, work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then you were like working, paying the bills, vacuuming the apartment, yeah, stressing. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, cool! The house is clean tonight." Yep, yeah. He had a job at a restaurant. The restaurant closed, so he. Picked oh wait, up whose milk is this? Glug 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 glug. Too many examples of shit like that, dude. Uh, so he has a part-time job at h H&M. I forgot. Did you buy the bagel bites? Because I ate them all. And then the pretzels. So then after I ate your bagel bites, I was no hungry. And then I ate all your pretzel rods. And then uh, I didn't do any chores. Thank you for delaying your gratification for my snack habit. <laughs> That you moved in with that guy? I moved in with that I guy. I think I know something like this about uh, other people I know. Um... So then, you move back home, you know, your pa- you move ho- back home with your parents' house after six months of Austin. No, that my roommate, the guy I moved down here did that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then you took over the whole apartment? Yeah. And then did you have yeah. a second bedroom that you needed to fill so you could pay rent, right? Yeah, so I had to get, I had to get a Craigslist guy. Okay. But I told the guy that moved out, he signed the lease, I told him to kick rocks, it was up to him to get a Craigslist guy to fill, he had to, he had You to, outsourced. The job of sublet leasing. Yeah, to the lurch. To the lurch. I said it's your job to to make sure your side of the rent is paid. I don't care how you uh. do it. Yeah, and so he. Uh, so, cause I posted the Craigslist ad, um, there were there were chicken wings in the thing, so I just felt like that was a work meal. <laughs> is it cool if I don't pay my side of the rent? Because I shouldn't like, have to if if um. Can you clean the stove too? Oh, it's like tired. I'm, I'm like so tired. <laughs> God, it's great not having any stress. <laughs> How is the Craigslist guy? Uh, terrible. Uh, just different. I think he wanted something different out of Austin than I did. Uh, he moved from New York City. I think he moved from. Like, he was just here for the Adderall and the Broads on Sixth Street. Yeah, he moved from like. I don't know what the section between the Hamptons and Queens is, but pretty much that. Long Island? Yeah, it was Long Island. Yeah, whatever that. Yeah, okay. I guess it's just Long Island. Um, yeah, he moved down from Long Island, and yeah, he was a closeted gay man. Not judging on that. It's just what it was. Uh, one day, we're just hanging out, and he goes, yo, is it okay if I tell you I'm bisexual? I go, yeah. He goes, nice. Thanks. Thanks for letting me get that out. Is it Okay. Yeah. Is that the end of that story, or did I, he start... Yeah, so he's like... You're like on your computer, he puts it on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, though? Are you, are you bisexual? Is it okay if I just start rubbing it on your ear, though? Like. Yeah. No, but he was, he was just a confused guy who... I So he was on the lease uh, until the middle of March. Uh, so this timeline isn't uh, adding up for the listeners at home. 
I moved down here with the kid from Pennsylvania. He only lives here for six years. He moves back. Six I'm months. Still, I'm still in the apartment. Uh, Craigslist guy moves in for five months and then fucks off. And then my very good friend from college, I gave the, are you going to be the guy from your hometown? Oh. <laughs> and so we pyramid schemed our way. In Wait a the, minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Okay. Right? Right. I'm in Pennsylvania. I just got finished plowing a field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> on my daddy's farm because yes. I'm I'm not uh you know an academic farmer like you know, nouveau reach academic farmer I'm a real farmer yeah right? but I have lived in my hometown okay oh no oh it's my friend Pat Bernard Tatui he's calling me you know mm-hmm. ring ring hello yeah hi Eric how's it going oh uh, hey what's going on yeah what are you doing? A, oh I just finished plowing uh I'm a salt of the earth blue collar guy you know I just oh man you do that every day. Yeah, but I love this land. You know, I'm going to inherit this farm. Yeah, but, like, that's going to be, that's like, in years, though. What about, like, your life? You know? Like. Well, my fa- my family legacy. Yeah, but uh, old men die, Eric. Huh? Old men die. I know. My dad's got a, he's got a condition now. Yeah, you're going to be stuck there until you die. So you should probably you should probably do something. You should probably get out of Pennsylvania. You should go to not Pennsylvania. You should move to not Pennsylvania. Move down to Austin. Well, I live by a code, you know, and that code is wake up, eat two eggs, you know, get on the tractor. That's my code I live on. You know, I'm a simple man. I'm a blue collar guy. Yeah. Salt of the earth. You should just come visit though for like a week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do the girls wear Daisy Duke short shorts or anything like that? There are so many girls down here. You have no idea. All right, I'll see you in two days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's I got goosebumps with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. What a that. pitch. Yeah. Thank you. That you would believe uh, uh, that was us role playing, if you believe it or not. That was actually not. A Is it okay call. if I say I'm bisexual? <laughs> <laughs> Can I smell this for me? Um, Been here for three years total. Mm -hmm. You you know, you you were on just a a little two-bedroom apartment, you know, flipping out roommates, different Mm -hmm. weirdos. Yeah. You know, then you made a speech to get a nice, you know, naive Pennsylvania boy who's going to live by a code of just paying his fucking bills and not bothering you too much. (laughs) Yeah. When did you start working at the Romo Room? That was within the... Well, working, I became full-time here uh, in May of 2021. Uh, I found the Romo Room in December of 2019. And so... so like four months full-time. Yeah, so I've been four months full-time, but I, I found the Romo Room within the first year I was living down in Texas. Yeah. I really wanted to do uh, open mics, and I was doing that for maybe like two or three months, and then I found this project uh, that Rob Morris opened that was a pay-for-play mic system that the rest of the town hated, but I got to do the most stage time humanly possible, so I was down for it. We did that for less than four months. The original Roma Room was only around for less than four months. COVID shuts it down. We then uh, get lost in the COVIDisms, and I start hitting open mics again once open mics start hitting again. 
and you talk about disillusioned the same shit that was happening to me before I seeked out Romo Room in the first place started to perpetuate and happen again what do you mean? Just the so I was at a mic where uh, the host uh, for the open mic goes out and he says at seven I'm gonna throw this piece of paper down and at seven sure enough he throws it down and he goes sign yourself up and you've been there you've seen it it's just like rats to feed everyone goes and they're they're boxing each other out they're ripping pens from each other trying to get their name down and I show up 15 minutes early to this thing and I'm not I'm not gonna do that that rat feed thing I'm just not and I'm not good. At stand up, but I'm not gonna do that rat feed thing, and so I wait my turn. Live by code. Yeah, I I want. To, oh wow. Okay, go on. So I'm uh, I'm waiting in line. I wait my turn, and I sign up. I'm 43rd. I go. I don't know what's that about. In the middle of the show, uh, the host puts up seven dudes who were at a show uh, elsewhere in town. So now you're not 45, now you're looking like more 52 on the list. I got to sleep in my car and get pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... But then you get home and then your roommate's like, I, but I should have like half that pizza because... Um, <laughs> I had uh, a hard day. So I did the ad. Oh. <laughs> All right. <sorry. laughs> <laughs> I found that Craigslist guy. Um, he seems cool. Yeah, I found a quarter on the ground. Can you give me 50 cents? <laughs> <laughs> the Craigslist guys came over, but, like, he, for his resume, showed me, like, a portfolio of butthole pictures. Like, is that, like, Gucci? Yeah, or, I like, couldn't figure out how the deadbolt was supposed to go. So, I guess he, like, lives here now or whatever. Yeah. God, I ate all your pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 52nd on the list. Yeah. You're, you're crying in your car. The next day, I was working retail. I worked at the UPS store. The next day, I told my boss I need to redo my, I need to go part-time at this job. And so I, part-time meant not full-time. And so I took Thursdays off, and I spent Thursdays just going to places, asking if they wanted comedy, essentially. Get my own show, get away from the bullshit of that. And... Do that for about two months, and then I uh, walk into the brass tap here at the domain, and they couldn't have been more excited at the prospect of having comedy because the place that the room is now, the Roman room is now, used to be an arcade room in the back of this. It, it used to be the Dave to the Dave and Busters of the brass tap. There were fucking games back here, and even the first show we did, there were still arcades in the fucking room. Um, but they had no use for the space. They didn't use the space. And so we kind of marched in, and it's been a very, very good good marriage thus far. I'll tell you what, though. When I walked into this place for the first time, I did not know that I was pitching Romo Room. I walked in, asked if they wanted comedy, and the conversation goes well. But all these cold touches I'm doing, these cold first touches... I'm used to just, oh, you tell your boss, a card, can I get a card? I'll email you. Thanks. And this place was like, yeah, you want to see the back? Can you do it? When you want to go? I think the sound works. You want to check out the sound? You want to see what the lights are? And I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't know how to get this far. And then one of the questions <laughs> Right, is, right. And then he goes, uh, who's on your team? And I was like, uh. And in that moment, I guess it was just subconsciously, I was like, well, what's the last comedy team I was a part of? Again, Momentum. And the last comedy team relationships. I was a part of was, yeah, in relationships. Since the last comedy team I was a part of was Roma Room. Rob Morris. Like, yeah. So you said my business partner is Rob Morris in that and that. And Rob had no idea that I was even doing that. 
Yeah. He thought you were full time at the USPS store. Right. And he just thought he'll see me when he sees me. Yeah. Uh, bonsoir, Pat. <laughs> but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is now, it, when you think back to that phone call you got from your friend saying, "Do you want to live in your hometown and be a fucking townie loser your whole life?" Look at us. Look yeah. at us. Yeah. Uh, that is pretty crazy to think about. The one behind you there, when we put up Dev David off, that is just that's obscene still uh, to me. What was your hardest day working here? Like when either things got tight financially or like nothing was going right? Uh, um, the most professionally embarrassing moment was we had from Cobra Kai. He uh, came for a second time and we gave him the same show format that we did the first time, two on Friday, two on Saturday. And when you're producing shows there's a lot of mitigating factors but there were only eight people here for his Friday 7 show and he goes no I'm not I'm not performing I'm not doing that I'm not going out there in front of seven people and doing an hour no and so we are sitting we're all we look like assholes we have our fucking t-shirts on have a logo we just got our arms crossed we're just sitting there for two hours until the next show starts you got nothing to do the headliner's not going up so we got these people here that just sitting and we're like, do you want to stay until 10? And they're like, I don't know, maybe. And we're like, okay. And then we're looking at the tickets for the late one, and it says 8 again. And we're like, ah. And like, so that that was the most professionally embarrassing moment. Um, shows when the show goes on and no one's here and it's like a shit kicker, those can end up being like kind of fun. But the fact that we blocked out this show and we were so excited for this thing to happen... And it just, it, it did worse than not go well. It didn't leave the port at all. Yeah. Yeah. And as a producer, that's... Yeah. It's bad. Yeah, hey, you're taking shots. It's like, I just think like, you know, yeah, do you want to fucking live in your home fucking town your whole life? I don't know, not that that's a bad thing, but for you, if that speech clicked and then you moved, then it, it, there was something on the inside of your soul barking at you the same marching orders. Yeah. And he just... Uh, tweak the knobs played the siren song and you're like yeah (laughs) what am I doing with my life right you know I didn't have to do chores when my dad was around but (laughs) (laughs) but you're a good soldier man and your your stability uh, your mental stability like makes me feel comfortable when I'm like oh Pat Bernard's here like not so much bullshit's gonna go on in the Romo room and I gotta tell you the Romo room's been fucking great to me you know um, one thing that happened, I don't know if I told you this, but, um, you know, Super Bowl weekend, I, uh, fell off a, a deck and I got knocked out. You know what I mean? Oh, shit. And, uh, it was really bad. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, I got picked up, you know, maybe I was at Nick Roche's house and, uh, then I, they maybe picked me up and then I like lost consciousness. I fell again. I landed on the driveway. <laughs> right. And then, you know what happened though? Hmm. You know what happened? I woke, I woke up one day. And I was, uh, you know, masturbating in bed, but it mm-hmm. wasn't my hand. Wow. It was Klaus Schwab Jr. And then I find myself in a spacesuit walking in here in April uh, to the to the Roma room, green room, asking yeah. if Hell Triplerush uh, knew where to get adrenochrome. Yeah. And then I did all four shows, Klaus did all four shows with him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, he drove to Dallas. 
I drove him to Dallas the other a couple weekends ago, oh, and shit. then Oklahoma City. What? And uh, now October 16, Klaus Schwab Jr. is going to be in Las Vegas with Herr Tripolish und Eddie uh, und Herr Bravos. Um, so if you go to samtriply.com and you look at October 16th, uh, you can buy tickets for 7 p.m. and 9.30. You'll see Klaus Schwab Jr. there. Congratulations to Klaus. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, you know, and frankly, the comedy career of Eric Hollerback is, like, stagnating. You know, like, <laughs> sure, I, I get to, I, I'm happy to host for Jimmy Schubert here at the Romo Room. You know, like, it's not, it's going okay. But Klaus Schwab Jr.'s Instagram's blown on fire right now. Yeah. His, um... You know, he's getting booked at shows like crazy. So he's did gonna... that did that character come about on account of the of the concussions at huh? Nick Rocher's house? What? Oh wow. I just sort of blacked out and then uh yeah, I don't even remember like, the character. The the problem with that is it's slippery, you know. Mm. I even called Jordan Shelby because his mom is a Chinese doctor. Okay. His mom is a white lady <laughs> from <laughs> from Santa Barbara. Okay. She's a she's a Chinese doctor. Okay, so... Why are you looking at me like that? Well, it's just she's a combination a of words. The words you're using. She's a doctor of Chinese medicine. Okay, that makes more Academia. sense. Academia. She can doctor. open the Chinese medicine book and then be a doctor of it. Yeah. Because people wrote that down, you know? Yeah. So I called him after a head injury, mm-hmm. and I was like, what is the Chinese doctor medicine for this? And then we were talking about that. But uh, anyway, you know, he, he helped me rebound a little bit. But uh, Wow. Um, I think it sort of made me realize, like, oh, if the, uh, if the beam that I fell off the deck from landed on my head, I'd be dead. Oh, shit. So I was like, maybe I should, I have left my hometown. Maybe I should start, motherfucker, you know, (laughs) doing, doing crazy shit, like taking fucking chances. Yeah. What's the worst that could have happened? Right. I'm going to be driving to Dallas, you know. And I go to a, a gas station to fill up in a spacesuit and get weird looks. You That's wear the worst. Suit on the drive? Huh? You know what I said. Klaus Schwab Jr., he's just sort of, he takes over. I don't like the guy. I don't trust him as a driver. I don't, I, don't, I, I know. I as a driver. I, don't I trust know, right? Him as a driver. He is too much, there's too much stuff like on his person that I feel like driving is distracting enough as it is. <laughs> Pat Bernard Tatui. This has been Highway Diary, episode 317. You can go to theromoroom.com. You can go to ericollerbach.com. We have a sponsor for this program, acbdremedy.com. Use promo code ERIC for 20% off your order. Uh, Klaus Schwab Jr. will be performing in Las Vegas October 16th at Diversion Amusements, 7 p.m. and 9.30 I asked to get on that show. I can't get on the show. October 25th to 28th, Eric Hollerbach will be through Louisiana, Lafayette, and New Orleans. So go to erichollerbach.com. Click the calendar for those dates. That'll be in New Orleans at the end of October. Any plugs for Pat Bernard Tatui? I don't want to run over your show. I think everyone should go to Las Vegas and see Klaus perform. (laughs) But uh, October uh, 15th and 16th, we have uh, Marilyn Roshkob. Rice Cub. She was on 24. Can I say that? Huh? Well, it's good that we're getting Marilyn Rice Cub, I think. Rice Cub. I, I performed with her in Los Angeles back uh, in some crappy venue. Uh, yeah. Well, what year was that? 2012? Wow. She doesn't remember me. I met a girl that night. 
There's okay. a girl in the audience that became my girlfriend for like six months from Maryland Rice Cub show. Anyway. Oh wow, that's well, that's folks at home. Then come to the show and you'll meet a girl that you'll date for. That's true, months. and I think she, now she's a Chinese doctor. She's a white lady. Jordan's mom. <laughs> Maybe she studied under her. Wow, I didn't put that. Maybe she studied under her. No, I think. Uh, well, she cheated on me for a guy with a in a bank. <laughs> the, the cheating happened in a bank or the guy worked at a bank? The guy worked at a bank. Oh, I'm doing comedy. I'm pursuing my dreams. The guy's like, oh, this car, oh, this auto money. loan is 6%. Yeah. And then she's like, duh, duh, duh. you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm, I know I don't have money all the time, but like I'm, I'm pursuing a dream. Yeah. You know? The guy works at a money store. Yeah. No fucking imagination. You just, yeah, it's where her, that's where her priorities laid. Um... This been episode Highway Diary 317. Pat Bernard to Tui. Later, motherfuckers.